Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is, <laughs> does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Nathan Olmsted is an outfitter in northeast British Columbia. At his heart, though, he's a hunter. And I wanted to get his first-hand take on how hunting has affected him as an outfitter. And you'll hear me say this a number of times in the podcast that I actually apologize. Because I guess when you think about hunting and its effect on people and the effect on people's livelihoods, you automatically think about a third world country like South Africa or Zambia or Mozambique. You don't think about someone in your backyard like Nathan and his family and his brother and his family and his mom and his dad that are all affected by the lack of hunting. So here's a conversation between myself and Nathan, someone who solely depends on hunting as a livelihood. <laughs> what are you drinking? Yeah, uh, Smithworks vodka. And Mio. <laughs> Smith works well. And Mio. What flavor Mio? Grape? I don't know. Whatever was in the cupboard, I just grabbed it. Whatever. You are mustacheless. 
Yeah, it's starting to come back. I got a little uh, Fu Manchu. A little Fu Manchu coming off. Yeah, look at you going nice and clean shaven. Yeah, I have my weekly shave on uh, Monday morning. Monday morning. And then I let it grow out for, you know, the, the three-day uh, non-shave look. Uh, yes, sir. I do know that. Um, for my talking heads. I just put some brown liquid down <coughs> the wrong The wrong pipe. pipe. Yeah, exactly. That's usually what I'm drinking, but I took it light tonight. So how you been, buddy? Man, we're phenomenal. We're phenomenal. You, you know, you, there's lots of things to complain about in this world. But um, you just got to look on the bright side. You got to look on the bright side. And and that's some of the, you know, it's funny you ask that question. And and it's funny the way that I answer because you of all people should be someone who is like down in the doldrums because of of COVID. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, it's a a hot topic right now, man. I mean, every day we get phone calls. I mean, I get phone calls constantly. My brother does. My my father does. It's. It's uh like you said, it's a hot topic of everything. So let's go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, since obviously we've been rambling and nobody knows. You bet. Uh, Nathan Olmsted from Profit Muscle Outfitters in British Columbia, Canada, and uh, yeah, I've been in business for I think almost forty years now. So as a company, you your dad started Profit Muscle. Yes, sir. Yeah, he started Prof Musqua. We bought the Profit in 1992. And uh, then from there, we bought different outfitting areas, but we've been in the hunting industry since 1983 was the first place. First year we bought a place in the Yukon, actually. And so the reason I wanted you on tonight is, and I think it's a little selfish on my part in that, I, I just, I, I, and I apologize, because it, through Blood Origins, we like to tell the impact of hunting on people and the impact of hunting on communities. And for some reason, Africa just happens to be a, a place where you're like, huh, those people depend on hunting. And if hunting stopped, they're going to be affected. And again, I apologize because I wasn't even looking in my backyard. No, that, no, no worries. That there are people that make a livelihood from hunting in America, in North America, Canada, US, and that's what they do day in and day out. And so a COVID situation, a hunting ban, hunting legislation changes has tremendous effects not only on the quote-unquote people that we focus on in Africa and Pakistan and all that kind of stuff, but people like you in our backyard that have decided to do hunting for a living. Absolutely. And, and it's amazing you see, you know, because like in northeastern British Columbia, it's, hunting's a very, very big part of the, the social income there. And uh, the other part is oil and gas. Well, with COVID hitting, you see the huge impact that the those two industries not having a big foot in that part of the world it's amazing what happens and uh yeah the hunting industry right now in in canada alone it's it's unbelievable at least in africa we can go hunting in africa 
you know, if you and I want to jump on a plane tomorrow, we have our COVID test or if we're, you know, immunized, we can, we can go over there. Canada, we can't have any clients come whatsoever. I mean, for me to cross the border with my wife and my kids, my family, it is like a two, two and a half hour ordeal just for us to go through, talk to all the customs guys. And you're Canadian. You have a Canadian I'm citizenship? Canadian. Yeah, I and mean, it's it's unbelievable. Um, we still have to have a PRC test, a you know seventy-two hour test before we get to the border within seventy-two hours. Take a test at the border. Have a full entire quarantine preparation schedule of how we're going to quarantine, how we're going to because when we drive up, right? So when we cross the border, we have to have a quarantine plan of when we cross the border, it's going to take on average 15 to 16 hours on the border to get to the ranch in Fort St. John. And then when we get to the ranch, you know, we have our house and everything quarantined there for the remainder of the 10 days that we're there and take another test once the 10 days is up and send it out. And, uh, you know, last year it was, it was the same thing. That's why we didn't have a hunting season last year. This year's not looking too, uh, good, but, you know, today Trudeau came out and said that he is looking at maybe opening the border. He doesn't know how it's going to be. He's going to open it to vaccinated people. But now the big thing is, you know, the vaccine cards, like I have just my, my card. People are saying that they're so easy to forge. So now he's talking about having a vaccine passport, which then it goes to each and every one of the, the medical, you know, pharmaceutical companies that, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson Johnson, they want to have their own passport, you know, so we don't know what the heck's going to happen. We do well, not. Then you've know. got HIPAA, right? You've got the law, you've got HIPAA, which prohibits you divulging any medical information. Absolutely. And then you have Canada that doesn't have a clue on how to distribute the, the vaccine, you know, so. The Yukon is pretty much fully vaccinated now. NWT is almost fully vaccinated. BC has, uh, they're still working on their distribution plan as well as pretty much every other province in, in, in Canada. So, you know, they're so far behind, you know, they blamed it on not getting the vaccine like the states did, but they had it. They just didn't have a plan on how to get it out there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but it's, it, it's, hit, it's hit a lot of, good outfitters out there and it's killed a lot of really good outfitters out there too in this last so let's if you don't mind i want to dig into it a little bit and, and it may get too personal and you can tell me look i'm not going to give you that information no, go for it. i you know I, i'm interested in understanding let's so prophet Moskwa is did you say northern british columbia northeastern bc northeastern bc did you used to hunt grizzlies by the way Oh yeah, that was a, a very good income that we had, and that is no longer as of seventeen. So, have you? And this is again tangential. <laughs> more grizzlies today. There is more grizzlies today than thirty-five years ago when we started in those areas. Um, you know, this happened about twenty, twenty-four years ago. They shut grizzly bear hunting down, and we went from killing ten to fifteen bears a year. To killing no bears for about 10 years 
And then they came back and reopened it and gave us one, maybe two tags a year. And in those 10 years of it being closed, we saw the influx of, of bears go out, out the wall. And so what we've really been doing, my brother, and Sean, he's the president of Guide Outfitter Association of BC. And he works really close with the government. And they started a ungulate enhancement plan. And the government's come in for trying to keep the caribou herds going. Right. So a major wolf goal up there. Right. And we've been doing that. I think this is our fourth or fifth year this year. And on average, you know, if the weather's good out there, right snow and everything, you know, we're killing, you know, 50 to 100 wolves a year out, out of the helicopters. Um, but the, the amount of grizzly bears that we see is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Last year when my son and I were in the mountains, you know, and I have a season, so we we're kind of just cruising and checking everything out. From one spot in the valley, we could sit there and look across, you know, probably five, 6,000 acres. Mm-hmm. And that five, 6,000 acres, we saw 13 grizzlies. Wow. And from one spot. And that's just what you can see, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so Prophet Moscow is a concession that you own or you lease from the government? We lease it from the government. So it's like a 10 year lease. So you have your, your lease on it. Uh, but we're the only commercial outfitters that can be in that concession. Uh, we've had, like I said, the profit since 92. We bought uh, the Musqua in uh, 98. And then we've had areas in, we had three areas in the Yukon. We were partners with Shockey for a few years up there. Yep, yep. Areas in Alberta, Mexico, and we have a ranch in Texas as well that we do hunting on. So, so in a time like last year, no clients. Mm-hmm. This year, potentially no clients. The government is. You have a concession fee every year that you have to pay the government. Yeah, we have our lease fees, our cabin fees, our grazing permits. We have all of our burn permits that we submit for doing controlled burns for enhancement for wildlife. We have all of our fees are still there no matter what. Um, plus, last year, you know, it was a month-to-month basis. So we're going to come out on the 21st of June and say we're going to open or not going to open. So we had all of our horses, all of our guides, all of our wranglers, everything in the mountains. Cooks, full crew in the mountains, ready to go just in case, you know, if they said it in August, we'd be ready for end of August and September, then in September, same thing. So we had all of our expenses, you know, just like a normal season going out, but nothing coming in. All of our flying bills were still there. You know, all of our food bills, everything was still there. And, you know, we just sat there until the 21st of September and finally said, all right, it's not going to happen. Let's let's pull everything out and, and shut down instead of keeping everybody in the mountains. Your concession fee is an annual fee? You know, um, what not, I'm trying to get here is really. Yeah, I, so if, if, if you look at what we spent last year, just on, on our expenses that we were out last year, you're looking at, you know, over $350,000. Uh, not many people can take a hit like that. No. And stay in business. That's, you know, because we have, we run all of our horses. So all of our fees for, you know, wintering our horses at the ranch and feeding and farming, because it's not just, when you look at it, 
when you have an operation like ours, we've gotten so trying to do everything on our own because we've learned in the past that when you hire an air charter company or you hire a trucking company, it's always, it's never when you need it, you can't get it done. So, you know, in the last 30 years, we've gone out and bought all of our own planes and we have our own air charter company. We have our own chucking company. We have everything there. So it's on our time. So then you get all the farming as well. And so it's, it's not just the hunting end of it. It's the entire realm of, of keeping everything going. The, like I said, you know, we put all of our own hay up. We put about 1200 tons of hay a year. Um, so that kind of stuff still can operate though, right? You, you, well, you can, can still, still do operate. that, right? You can still operate for sure. And you have to do it to keep all your, your livestock and everything going. But when you have a big hit like that, where all your money is going out, paying your guide wages, your wrangler wages, your cook wages, all your feed and everything, and not having any income because we're not going to go and, and sell our hunts at a majorly discounted price to have a Canadian resident come hunt in in my opinion that completely devalues your hunt cost and so when it comes back and i've already heard it through a lot of of, of hunters that have hunted with us and that are hunting with us that you know when, when it comes back into the realm of doing the hunting shows again it's going to be hard for an american or a european or anyone to come in and say hey you know uh yeah i'll pay you the thirty thousand dollars for a doll sheep hunt when you just sold it last year for 20,000 for a three species hunt, mm. you know? And, and so we didn't, we, we took it on ourselves and we didn't do that. We didn't sell any hunts last year to, um, that you could understand why right. someone would do that. Right. Completely. And, and that the thing is that we're in a different, we're fortunate enough that we don't have the, the huge fees going out to, having to pay for the concession because we've had them for long enough that we've paid them off. And that's the one, the only reason that we're fortunate enough to be able to do that. You, know? you think that's the difference? Is that really, if someone say, gosh, you, uh, let's not, we don't want to name names, but maybe someone got into their first concession that they've been waiting on in 2019. We know it. We sold an outfit in 2019. Wow. Are they still in right. business today? They are. And it's a, a great, great guy that got it for us. And I, I, I love him to death. He's a superb guy, him and his wife. And they were our neighbor outfit in, in the Yukon. And then they came to us and they purchased one of our areas up there. And I know, you know, like, I know why they're doing it. And I have, we would have done the exact same thing. You know, you, you, have, you have those payments. You have that stuff to do it. I mean, there, there's no reason not to. And there's a lot of guys out there that are in. I, if you look at, look at the big picture, us as an outfit, we're some of the older outfitters now that have been around for a long time. A lot of the new guys, I'm, they've bought their outfits. Even if you bought them 10 years ago, a lot of guys still have those, those big payments to, to who they Who are those payments to? The bank or to the government? No, see, that's, that's the hard thing in the outfitting industry. To get money loaned from a bank is really, really hard because you really don't have any land, right? Like we're right. talking about, like it's a, it's a concession lease that you have. You don't, you don't own you don't that own land. It. Right. Um, and so banks don't loan money on that. 
So, you know, you, you, you go out and you get money from clients that, you know, that, you know, that you, you're well known enough that you can do that. Um, some people take seconds out on some ranches that they have and, and do it that way. But that's the hardest thing is if I know a lot of outfits, you know, they're, um, the kind of seller financed. So, and in that contract, it states, if you are one day late on your payment, I'm taking that outfit back. And it doesn't matter if you have a million dollar non-refundable deposit and you've paid for five years. If you're one day late on that payment, the outfit's not yours any longer. So that's, it, it's, a, it's a big stinger if you don't come up with the money. And I understand why a lot of guys did it. So do you think in, you know, again, what I'm, you know, if it was to the government, you know, maybe the government would have said, okay, look, COVID, we understand. No, maybe they wouldn't. You know, I never know. I, I hope that you would, you know, the guys that have the one day late payment kind of scenario would recognize that, holy shit, we're in a situation that has never been seen before and hopefully will never get seen again. Yeah. I'm. But I, I, business, I, I, know, right? I, know, I know of some outfits I got turned over from last year to this year. Yeah. And, you know, and it, I'm sure there's a lot more to the story than just a day late or whatever. But yeah, I, I know, I know it. And I know a lot of it came, it, it, it arises from COVID hundred percent. It arises from the Canadian government, not allowing anybody to come in for that. You know, we even had it set up. Uh, my brother and I had a plan and proposed it to the BC government stating that, you know, we'll, we'll we will get a plane and fly everybody from the United States directly to our lodge. We'll have customs everywhere to do it. Nobody even has to see anybody outside of our hunting areas. No airports, nothing. And the Canadian government, oh yeah, or the BC government say, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's a great idea, you know. But it goes to the federal, and then it just gets swept underneath the rug and never hear anything back from it. Hmm. So. That was quite amazing. When we went to South Africa, it was the robustness of the, as you, as you said, whatever you just, you know, the idea that you had, the robustness of the, the COVID protocols in South Africa, just coming in and out of airports, every, you know, from the supermarket, the mall in a populous area like Johannesburg that has pump stations for hand sanitizer. And then for any store you go in, there's a security guard spraying your hands to a random gas station in the middle of, you know, three miles east of the middle of nowhere, having hand sanitizer pumped everywhere. They've got their stuff together, man. And it was just like, and they, look, yeah, we talk a lot about hunting, but South Africa, ecotourism, right? Just coming to see wildlife is monstrous. And they're just like, we need you back. Like, we need the people back. Absolutely. I mean, Sun City, all of that stuff in the northern part, and that's a huge, huge development based off of all ecotourism, you know, mm-hmm. let alone Kimberly and Joburg and Cape Town, all that stuff. Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Just, I mean, look at, go back to Canada, and you got Banff, you got Jasper, you have Whistler, you have, I mean, Whistler back home. That is a huge, huge tourist development 
that is, I'm, I mean, it's billions and billions of dollars put into that. That has been closed for almost, you know, 16 months. Amazing. It's amazing that there's nobody just, I guess you, there, there are some, but not like the loud chorus that is get the hell, you know, let's get this thing open, man. Well, the thing is, there is. <laughs> there, there's a, it's called the Adventure Tourism Coalition of British Columbia. And, and they kind of, they kind of run all of the, like the, the cruise industry and the biking, hill skiing, stuff like that. So they came to the government and said, hey, you know, we had last year, it was, it was a scratch year. We have to do something. So we, we're not basing everything off of a 30-day wait list, right? 30 days you're going to wait and maybe get checked out. We need something more. You know, give us three months, give us six months. And they proposed that, and they sent it to the federal government. The federal government came back and said, okay, no problem. February of 22, you guys can start cruising. So it's a, two, it's a two-bladed sword, right? So you can sit there and, and, and hope and wait and not be too pushy about it, or you can push at it, and then all of a sudden they go, yeah, you know what? You guys can sit there and wait until June of 22 to even think about having a, a hunting season. So when will you pull the trigger on this year? Um, not until July, August. You know, that, that's what we're planning. We're, we're still planning on having a, a full season. All of our clients are looking, starting to book, book their flights. And um, the air service that we use from Vancouver to Fort, or Fort Nelson just opened up their date. So guys are buying their flights. You know, we're, we're hoping and praying that it's going to open hopefully in you know, latest be July. So we have a really good idea of getting everybody in the mountains. Um, you know, all of our guides are sitting there jumping at the bit, wanting to know what's going to happen. So Sure, sure. You haven't had, uh, have you had to let anyone go? Has anybody just like... You know, it's, and that's the hard thing is like the PPP in the States and then in Canada, they, us being in the hunting and the outfitting industry, it's not a year round company right so we have a lot of guys that their their work for us from july till end of october or june to october and the rest of the time they go back home and they're steel workers or boiler makers or welders whatever they have different industries they work in so the way that the canadian government looked at it and said okay in march whoever was on your payroll will will give you some subsidy and it's pretty much like 40 percent of what they're getting paid well, that's like the most dead time for us. We had nobody on your payroll. We had yeah, like two or three people on the payroll and you can't pay yourself because you're an, an owner in it. So really it, it didn't help us out at all on that end of it, which was pretty hard. And we have guys from New Zealand because we have a, you know, a co-op with the guys down there since it's all commonwealth they come up and we have some really great guys that went home for christmas and supposed to come back in mid in mid-march last year oh get out of new zealand they're they're there i mean they're they they can they can come now but Mm -hmm. now they're kind of waiting to see because they've been there for a year and they've you know got their good jobs down there now so they're really waiting to see if we're gonna have a season before they can try to come over so are are you are you is a drop of a hat kind of stuff. Like, as you said, clients are booking flights and, and the flight systems are pretty good. You can get your, your money back and all that kind of stuff. But like logistically, you just said, you've got to 
you know, you've got all the stuff. You've got the horses, you've got the camps, you've got the food, you've got the, you've got the everything. You know, when do you pull that trigger? Is it June 31st to July 31st? Well, what we figure is we'll still go to the mountains. Uh, we usually go in about the 15th of July. 10th to the 15th of July, we send the horses in. We're still going to do that no matter what. That way, if it does open in August, we're there to be, you know, we're there ready to set up. Because it usually takes about two to three weeks to get everything, camps open, firewood ready, everybody there. Usually fly all of our cooks in around, you know, the 25th or so of July. So they're, you know, there for about five or six days before clients get there. Um, you know, I, I think if, if we pull the plug, it, it'll be in that mid to the end of August is when we'll, we'll say, okay, we can't, we can't do it this year. We'll have to roll it to next year. Um, for those clients that are, you know, been booked for a couple of years now from end of July to that end of August time, um, we'll be on the phone with them, you know, on a daily, if, you know, weekly, if not daily mm-hmm. basis, you know, giving them updates. And, and the hard thing is, is even with my brother's capability of being in the, you know, the GABC president, there's no communication with the government. There's zero communication within the government to any industries out there. So whatever you hear on the news when you're sitting in your house is what we hear on, you know, that's the first time we hear it too now. Where before they were given a little bit more information to, to us, but now they're not doing anything. Like it's just sealed up tight and kind of like the envelope at the Grammys. Out, where where are all your horses right now? Because I, I remember Fort last Saint year, oh, they're in Fort Saint John. Because I yeah. remember last year you were gathering horses in America and at the yeah, monster well, trailer. Oh yeah. Well, what we what we do is because um, I come down here in in Texas for the winter time, and we have a uh, the ranch down here for hunting. So when I'm going back up north, I I try to buy as many good work horses as I can on the way up and haul them up on, on the way. Gotcha. So. But yeah, our, our main ranch is in Fort St. John, so that's where, that's where all the ponies are right now. So, you know, I know that in Africa, in South Africa specifically, these guys are going to hunt. They may just continue hunting. Like, it doesn't matter. It's going to get hot. It's going to get malaria. It's going to get whatever. They're, they don't care. It's going to get green. They're going to keep hunting. Can you do that? Can you keep going? Nope. Our season, we have a set season, right? For our sheep, it's August 1st through October 15th and then the antlers so your elk moose elk and moose pretty much open August 15th through October 15th and then you have later on in the uh in August you have your caribou and your goat open and that all closes in October so that's why I'm saying if we have that window end of August you'll still have about a month month and a half of leeway and uh after that, so, and it's closed. You're done. Like the government will not issue tags. You can't. It's done. It, it's illegal if you keep, if you continue to hunt. That is true. Yeah, you'll you'll lose everything if you do that. Yeah, yeah. So you get you get stuck in a in a bind real quick when, you know, like last year we were in the mountains until about the you know, later part of September, and finally said, all right, you know, even if even if they do open on the twenty first. It's not going to do us any good because we have 15 days to, to hunt and the weather shit, so there's no reason to be here. If it stays closed this year, hmm. 
Will you make it? You know, will Prophet Moscow make it? Prophet Moscow will make it just because <laughs> all thanks to, to my, my father. Um, you know, he's, he's opened our eyes in the last 10 to 15 years of how to diversify and in case something like this happened. Yep. And this all stems back to the grizzly bear closure back in the 90s. Um, you know, that, that was a huge, huge hit economically to, to, to us as outfitters. I mean, when you're shooting 10 extra bears, that's a huge thing. So when he saw that happen and with everything else, you know, we used to have a, a really big black bear area over on the Queen Charlotte Islands beautiful lodge and we did you know shot some huge bears over there but we had nature conservancy great bear rainforest came in and all of the they're not against hunting though nathan oh (laughs) they're all against hunting for damn sure and they got the biggest checkbooks out there and prove it and we can definitely stand up and say that and so the the first nations on the island were very much against us killing the bears even though the the government said we want you to kill like 600 black bears a year and we were i think that was our quota like between four and 600 bears a year well wow. i think we'd i think we'd kill like 130 but the first nations were very against it so we actually had you know guys out there and in bear suits saying don't shoot me and my mom and dad had horrible write-ups in the papers and and so it finally got to the point, we had that since, we bought that in 99. And then in 2011, we finally came to agreements with the First Nations and the government, where the government actually funded the First Nations with X amount of dollars. And then the First Nations came with the rest of it, where a lot of that money came from Nature Conservancy, Great Bear Rainforest, some other organizations out there that are, they say they're not against hunting, but you know it, and I know it. That's where the money comes from. The, the little old lady sitting there mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, you know, for twenty-five dollars a month, you can, you know, help this this bear live." But yeah, so that closed us down. So that that really hit hard too, because I mean, it, it affected a lot of our clients. You know, a lot of our clients were were good, you know, whatever. But a lot of them don't. You know, they're they're high end guys. They don't want to be, you know, no. People know that they're on the island hunting and stuff. So with the Brisbane hunting getting shut down in the 90s, us pretty much getting pushed out of the Queen Charlotte, you know, if, if we would have fought much longer, we felt that the government would have just taken it away from us and gave it to the, the First Nations. With all of that, my dad started helping us and teaching us, hey, we've got to diversify. You know, we were fortunate enough, we sold a couple of hunting areas and we took that money and we put it in different investments and, and we diversified. So all of our money wasn't sitting in hunting. Right. And thank God for that. Thank my father for that, for having the, the, the wits and the know-how to do it. With that done, we will survive if it's closed this year. If we had not done that, there's no way in hell that we would be surviving. We would be completely gone. You know, just, because it's not just my family. It's my family, my brother's family, my mom and dad. All of us draw. We all own the company. We all draw money from the company. 
So it's, it's a big expense. And like I said, we have air charter company, we have a trucking company, we have 300 head of horses, we, you know, so it's a lot of money out that thank goodness that we had some money in there. And I know a lot of really, really good outfitters and a lot of really good friends that if they're not open this year, it's going to be really hard for them, really hard. And it's really bad for, for the, the, the black bear hunt. You know, those guys, it is two years right now. Yep. They should be Season killing should be open right now. They should be, you know, in Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, BC, Alberta. They should be killing tons of black bears right now. But with the border closed, you know, they might kill, I'd say they'll probably kill a tenth of the bears that they should kill. Yep. There's no way that they can survive on that. There's no way. What would... um what would Nathan Olmsted be doing if he couldn't hunt? <laughs> hunt? <laughs> Honestly, I don't, I don't know. I mean, hunting is hunting's what I've done my entire life. I love hunting. I mean, you, you've made me cry over this before. So, um, you know, there's, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Hunting is in my blood. I, even if we sold out all of our hunting areas, I would do hunting i would find a way i'd i don't know i'd be i'd go guy i don't know i would i would hunt there's not a lot out there that i'd rather do than be in the mountains and hunt so for those folks that are listening and thinking about i know obviously you run a very high-end you know sheep and goats and elk and moose and not everyone can afford to do that but the guys that you know want to help want to help outfitters, the Black Bay outfitters and whatnot, you know, what would you be, what would your recommendation be to them? You know, stay and ah, that's a hard one. It really is because there's so many really good outfitters out there and there's so many really not good outfitters out there. And I, I hate to say it. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a industry standard that you know outfitters always screw the client right and uh i hate to say it, there's a lot of outfitters out there that are like that so there's a, a lot of really good solid outfitters that you know like us i mean we're we're doing everything in our power to give the hunters that are paid their hunts and if it's not happening this year i'm sure we'll have to start giving some money back and we'll do that. We won't keep anybody's deposit. We're not going to screw anybody out of money. And what I can say for, for those hunters that are booked, I mean, communicate with your outfitter. You have to talk. You know, just if they don't answer, the, if, if you're a hunter and you're trying to call that outfitter, as my dad always says, a squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? Right. You need to talk to them. Just just call them. Don't pester them like five times a day. Just call them on Monday, call them on Wednesday, call them on Friday. You'll, you'll, you will get a hold of them, but just talk to them. Try to stay as true as you can. And I know I mean, hunting industry should be solid across the board. It should be, you know, those outfitters should try to help everybody that they can. And just, Honestly, communicate and try to 
try to, to stay with them. If, if they tell you they're going to roll you to next year, do it if you can. I mean, you're, their money's already spent with the outfitter if they've already paid for it. And just communicate. That's the right. biggest thing I can say. Well, dude, I hope you, I hope your season goes this year. I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for Trudeau. Go yeah. Trudeau, open that door. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. And uh, yeah, I, I wish you and all the outfitters, obviously in Canada, the best of luck. I know that it's been tough times. And uh, yeah, and again, I just wanted to have you on here because I think there's the perception that you know hunting has this sort of tie into third world countries, and that people in third world countries are really dependent on hunting. We're in, in our backyard in probably the biggest, you know, first world country in, in the world. There are folks that make their livelihoods from hunting. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And there's, there's a lot. I know there's, there's guys last year that went out of business, and there'll be guys this year who got out of business, but out of season. Yep. Well, I appreciate nice. you, brother. Yes, sir. Hopefully we'll see you up there this year. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.